0: Well, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm, I'm excited to kind of get into a conversation today. We've been talking about this concept here, are you helping? And this is kind of a message series to kick off the year. It's also a, just a real big question we're going to be asking ourselves for the, the whole year and maybe our whole lives. Because aren't we all kind of asking that question of ourselves most of the time? I mean, if you're a parent, if you're a friend, if you're in a relationship, if you're an employee, do you ever find yourself like just looking around and saying, is anything that I'm doing making a difference? Like, am I even, is anybody but me? All of you guys are so secure. You're like, yeah, I know for a fact that what I'm doing is making the world better. What's wrong with you, Drew? What what are you so concerned about? But I do, like, I'm constantly like looking around and parenting is the probably the best example of it where we'll do things and we'll we'll kind of try to set up systems and regimens and things that we think will probably help and then two weeks later, Megan and I are looking at each other, like, are we helping at all? Like, because these animals are just acting more and more like animals. I don't know if this is working. And and so we kind of wanted to start the year and, and and start this conversation with this question of ourselves, asking of ourselves, are you helping? Are the things that you're doing to make a difference in the world, to make a difference in other people's lives, are they really making a good difference? Um, and And hopefully it's been helpful, right? <laughs> Hopefully the conversation that we're having around this subject has actually helped you a little bit. Uh, we've been in Galatians chapter six. We have been for a couple of, uh, for a couple of weeks now. We will stay here um, for the next couple of weeks as well. Uh, and then we're going to pause this Conversation for it might be something we kind of come back to over and over all year long, kind of like we did with Matthew over the summer. We just kept going back to that when we weren't somewhere else. But in February, I do want to do uh, have a short conversation on relationships and friendships and uh, and cruise ships and parsnips and whatever, whatever else, uh, whatever other kind of ships. Um, but uh, but for now, we're in Galatians six. There's so much to be said here. The last couple of messages, we've covered this right here, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. We have covered, Dear Brothers and Sisters, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul writes um, to a church in a place called Galatia, the Galatian people. Uh, That's what this is. And he may actually be responding to questions that they asked. We don't really know. This might be one half of a conversation, and we only have this half. But I think there's some really helpful stuff in it. He says, "Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin," that was most of the first week's message, and you can check it out on the podcast, or we make a, a vlog version of it on our YouTube channel if you want to um, kind of catch up on what we, how we unpacked that, and how we, you know, use that to to figure out how to be helpful, engage whether we're helping you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto. right path. That's what we've covered uh, so far. That's not even a whole verse. So here we are in the last Sunday in January, and we haven't even made it through a whole verse of scripture. Go us. Uh, But we're going to finish that verse today with the next part of this. So uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, letter B. Uh, And be careful, the apostle Paul says, not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Now, when we're talking about sin and temptation, we're talking about hot topic, hot button church issues, things that make people super uncomfortable. Uh, hopefully you're not uncomfortable here. Hopefully, especially if you heard us talk about what we think sin is, how the New Testament actually defines sin, how Paul actually probably thought about sin, how the church at this time in the church in Galatia probably thought about sin. Sin is when someone knows a better way to live, a better way to do things, and they choose not to. Like when someone is overcome by sin, it's not really for me to point at them and say, you're sinning. It's for you to say, I don't think this is the best possible way for me to live my life and I wish I could do better. That's James's actual definition. It's actually a partnership with God to speak to individual people, to say to individual people, if you want better for your life, I'm inviting you to better. And it means changing these things. And and so that's that's what we're talking about. And, and so Paul talks about how, if we're going to be helping people in those kinds of relationships, helping people who would say, I'm not living the best possible way for my life, and I'd like to, that he would say, Well, if you want to help, you step in and, and help. But be careful not to fall into the same temptation. Yourself. If we're honestly wanting to help people, then I believe the first part of this verse gives us a great parameters and guidelines for making sure that we are, and this is a phrase that I love, I'm coining, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trademark this, helping in a way that's helpful. <laughs> is that good? Are you helping in a way that's helpful? That's what the first half provides. And then Paul goes into next this conversation about how there, there are some temptations that you might actually be kind of, you know, tempted and, and drawn into. He warns that you would not be very helpful if you fall into the same kinds of messes as the people that you're trying to help out of messes. this makes sense? Super straightforward and simple stuff uh, so far. And there are a couple of classic and sort of cliche. If we can go back one slide just to have that verse up for a little bit there, Ben. Thank you so much, Ben, by the way. Ben's running sound, running the, uh, the visual stuff back there today. I've said it a lot here recently. Those people never get attention unless something goes wrong. But today, I thought we should just acknowledge it's going so right, man. It's going so right. Um, (laughs) As far as I know, it's behind me. I don't know what you've been looking at. But I think it's going so right, Ben. Good job. Um, There are some classic and cliche sort of religious interpretations of this sentence that, that we may want to address, but... I'm going to say this, and and you probably know this, if you're a part of the Risen Church family, this isn't going to be surprising to you, but if there is a, a classic and cliche way of interpreting a verse of scripture... I'm gonna be at least a little skeptical of it, right? If everybody, it's just the it's just the punk rocker that was born in me when I started playing the guitar and wearing airwalks when I was 15 years old, right? There, there's a there's a part of me that's just kind of like if everybody reads this verse and says, "Oh yeah, we all agree," here's what it means. There's just a there's a little part of me that's like, could is everybody right though? Is everybody is that is the popular opinion really? has that really always served us well in history? Is that really the message of Jesus? Jesus, the one who shows up and says to the church, hey, all you guys who think you've got it figured out, you're the ones who are the furthest from the truth. I I just don't know if it's always healthy for us to have one way of looking at this kind of thing. And it's not necessarily that I think that that opinion or that way of interpreting it is wrong. It's more that I think, well, there's got to be more to it than one avenue one lane way of of thinking about this the typical understanding of this verse and see if I tap into anything I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings this is all in sort of jest but I think we can probably see maybe we can laugh at ourselves a little bit here and say yeah that's kind of the typical understanding of this is that if we're helping people who are overcome by some sin in some way that really we're stepping into situations where people are living a life that is is—it's um, probably pretty fun, right? Like that's kind of the popular. It's like they're sinning over there. They're probably loving it. They're probably having a great time doing all of their sinning, doing whatever it is they're doing. They're watching HBO uh, or, or gambling or something. I don't know what, what kind of sinning people are into. Um, but, you know, they're, they're probably having a lot of fun. And if you get close enough to those people and having all their fun sinning, you're going to want to get in on some of that fun. Right? That's, is that the typical interpretation? Is that how we would mostly Is like be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself? Wouldn't we say, like, yeah, I think that's kind of a... Mostly I've kind of heard, like, if you're trying to help somebody who's got a problem or you're trying to help somebody who's doing a whole lot of sinning... Um, be careful how close you get, because sinning is so much fun. Uh, and you're going to want in on that. You're going to want to get an HBO subscription. <laughs> I'm just, I have an HBO I don't use it. I have it for other people, okay? But, uh, <laughs> this is kind of a, a typical understanding of this. But, but when I'm thinking about somebody who's sinning who's, who's in a way that, that really matches the New Testament's definition, what I believe Paul's definition is, I really, I would struggle to picture someone living in such a way that I secretly also want to live. Right. See, for me, that interpretation of like, don't get so close to all that sinning because it's a lot of fun and you're going to want in on it too, is just it doesn't quite line up for me because when I think about the the New Testament's definition of what sin really is, of James's definition and Paul's definition, and really what I believe Jesus' definition is, it's not live. It's it's living out of alignment with God's best for your life. Like when I'm sitting and talking to someone who is in crippling debt and can't stop spending. And it's paying, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, and they're, they're under and, and under credit card debt, and all of these different things, and they've got so much interest uh, on all of it that they're not even chipping away at the debt. That the debt might actually be increasing by the amount of interest. That's, I'm not secretly sitting over there thinking, wish I could get myself some debt like that, right? You know what I'm saying? Like when we're talking about real, real world, like actual crippling issues like this. I, I struggle to interpret it in that more typical way. When I think about somebody I've, I've got close friends who, who have battles with addictions and some who have left it behind them, and some who are really still in the throes of it right now, when I'm sitting with them and, and talking to them about it, like I don't, I don't find myself saying, "I wish I had time to get an addiction." you know what? Like, it's just, it doesn't make any sense, which is, by the way, the thing that I think every time I get advertised for a game on my phone. That says, uh, that says the most addicting game I've ever played. <laughs> it's like, what? Okay, well, I don't need to lose my family over crushing this candy. Um, that's not. But, but you get what I'm saying? Like that, that there is this kind of typical. Inter- Are we on the same page a little bit? There's this typical interpretation that don't get too close to this, or you'll be tempted the same way yourself. Kind of misses the mark for me. It's a pretty weak um, way of thinking of this, and and it's it's definitely useless to most degrees, and and maybe even a little bit harmful. But the threat that I think Paul is actually addressing whenever he says, be careful you don't fall into the same kinds of temptations, what is he actually saying to the Galatian people? He's talking about a different kind of threat. He's warning against something else here. The real threat that Paul is addressing throughout most of Galatians and most of his ministry for that matter, and the entire ministry of Jesus for that matter, the threat is a religious one. They're they're not saying watch out for all the sinning that's going on out there. They're mostly saying watch out for a religious view of the world. Watch out for an interpretation of things that basically makes God's love small and conditional and fickle. They're saying the greatest temptation that you're going to face really in this life is to think that living one way will get you more of God's love and living another way will get you less of it. The gospel, the heart of the gospel is kind of a flip religion on its head kind of thing. I mean, and if you really think about it, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but I'll just I'll move through this other stuff more quickly uh, if, if, I, if I can jump ahead for just a second. <clears throat> if we really think about what religion does and what religion claims to be and what it, what it claims to do we arrive at something that is not unique to us whatsoever it's not unique to christianity whatsoever it's not unique to judaism whatsoever this whole thing that like we got to do it differently than the rest of the world we've got this this fresh gospel message this good news of jesus christ and the good news is live the right way and then maybe god will let you be a part of his kingdom. It was like, well, that's pretty much the message of every religion that's ever existed from the beginning of time, isn't it? Like if we do these things the right way, it's voodoo. It's not relationship with an almighty God. It's voodoo. It's like if I do this stuff the right way, you know, burn the right sacrifices, live the right, in the right alignment, all these different things, then I will. then maybe the gods will smile at me then maybe we'll have a good crop this fall. Maybe, you know what I'm saying? Like that's kind of, that's not unique to Christianity. What's unique to Christianity is a God who comes among us and says, let's lose the religious thing. Why don't we just talk to each other here? Why why don't we just find a connection? If you want a better life, I'm going to teach you how to live that better life. But let's get one thing straight. At the very start of this, at the very outset of this, your relationship with me is not going to be conditional on on whether you're good enough. And and the fullness of the gospel would be because you couldn't possibly be good enough. That's not going to work. Jesus is just going to say, that's not going to work for anybody. Nobody's going to be good enough in God's eyes. But if you want a better way, he invites us to that. Um, So if we're... we're, um, What Paul is saying here, his addition to this helping people conversation is essentially that we would hopefully avoid leading someone from one captivity that is, their sin, to another captivity, your religion. And he says, be careful, don't fall into the same temptation. He's saying, make sure, and that's what the whole of Galatians is about, and we're going to see that in just a minute. Where he's saying, make sure that you don't lead somebody from the, the captivity of an addiction, the captivity of their debt, the captivity of their, of their worry. Make sure if you want to really help somebody, you don't lead them from one way of living, one destructive pattern to a religious one, to another one that's like, all right, now let's trade that addiction for this one. Let's see if we can get a little more clarity about this as we move through, and then we'll get into the sermon notes, and and hopefully that'll land a few things for us. The message that Paul declares in his letter to the Galatians is a message of freedom in Christ, and the primary sin that he is, is concerned with is freeing people from their religion, Freeing people from Judaism, freeing people from an old way of thinking of God's love as small and conditional and and fickle. Paul even offers an example of the kind of helping that we must do for our brothers and sisters in Galatians 2. So he's kind of, Galatians 6 wraps up a lot of stuff that he's already talked about. So let's look at Galatians 2. I'm going to read a whole lot here, but I think it speaks pretty well for itself. So let's just look at at this conversation. He says, here's something that happened once uh, between me and a friend of mine, Peter, Peter. We know Simon Peter, Peter and Paul, they're the two popes, right? Not that, that's not the same thing as the one on Netflix, but essentially Paul and Peter got this thing started together. Uh, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. This is actually Galatians two eleven. That's my bad there. Um, he opposes him to his face, for he, what he did was very wrong. Now, Paul, at the outset of this, throwing Peter under the bus, Like a preacher, always throwing somebody under the bus. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. What does that have to do? I don't want to go to these kinds of dinner parties, right? Uh, Where That's the kind of checkpoint we're doing at the door. It's like, are you on the list? It's like, I don't know if I'm on the list. Oh, we can check real quick. All right. Uh, But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Are we catching what he's saying here? He says, all right, whenever he came, first of all, to Antioch, when he came to this area first, he sat down and he had these conversations and he would eat with these people who were Gentiles. But then his Jewish buddies came along. Then his more religious friends came along and he stopped hanging out with them again. When they, when they showed up, when his friends came, when the friends of James, and, and he wouldn't be eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Do you see what, what Paul is pointing out here, what, what the big concern here is? The big concern here is that we are tempted constantly to try to create a religious system, a new construct, a new way of of making God's love conditional. The definition that Paul gives for falling into the very temptation you've been sent to set people free from is this. He shares this example of Simon Peter and and, uh, being set free from his old ways, his old beliefs and his attempts to help others. And then he falls back into those old ways. And of course he does. And so I want to offer you a few warnings, and these are the things that are in your sermon notes. And if you have any questions, please text them in. I have a couple already that I'm going to try to address. Uh, And then if you'd like to text anything else that comes in, we'll try to leave a little bit of space for that here in just a moment. Am I moving too quickly? I was trying to move real quickly to get to this part so we can... Slow down just a minute here, Um, but hopefully we're kind of tracking and and somewhat on the same page, and if you get a little bit offended by this whole thing today, because you're like, well, Drew, I really love my religion, though, I would say, I know, me too. But if Jesus doesn't offend you every once in a while, then I'm not sure you're paying attention. If, If the scriptures always align with you, if every time you pick this up, you're like, yep, it's what I already thought, then I'm not sure you're paying very close attention to it. So I think there should be a level. There are some religious things, some systems, some patterns, some structures that I really love. There are some things that I adore, that I was sort of raised in. There are some values and, and traits and, and traditions and things that I... But they can never take the place of my actual connection to my Heavenly Father. And that's what the warnings of this actually are. So let's look at... Um, couple of warnings. Warnings for helping people in meaningful ways in your life. If what you are doing for others is actually helping, the first set of blanks, if what you're doing is actually helping, helping, you will be tempted to stop. Can I get an amen from anybody whose resolution just didn't quite work out this year? Right? If what you're doing is good, you're going to be tempted to stop doing it. That's human nature. Right? We, we're, we're not tempted to stop doing things that are bad for us mostly. We're tempted to keep doing those things. We're not tempted to stop doing things that are really, really, really harmful. That comes easily. That comes naturally. You should talk to my four-year-old. Um, right? It comes very naturally to be harmful. If what you're doing for others is actually helping, you will be tempted to stop Constantly. And this kind of becomes a good gauge, and it's a, it's a tricky one. It's a little bit of a paradox. Um, it's a little counterintuitive, but what I'm essentially saying is that there should be some level of resistance for this. Anything worth doing is difficult. If you're actually playing a part that is setting people free, there will be resistance. Because you're setting them free from something you know that if we're setting people free from religion, if we're setting people free from, let's use this as a simple example, from, from an addiction to maybe, let's say, some sort of substance. If, we're setting, if we want to see people set free from that and they want themselves to be set free, there is resistance on every side from that. There are corporations and, and powers that be that do not want those people to be set free. From their addictions, there are corporations that do not want. There are always going to be powers at work that don't want people. So there will be resistance. If we're doing something that's actually helpful, we're gonna meet resistance. The old ways that Peter falls back into, they aren't the fun, live however you want kinds of ways. Are we seeing that again? Just to jump back to that original example, it's not like it's not like Peter is is um, is trying to help people out of their, their good living, their, their fun life. And then he gets tempted and drawn back into it. He's drawn back into an, a less free way. He's drawn back into a captive way. He's drawn back into a way of thinking that makes God's love small and that makes the rules really, really tough to follow. And he, he's drawn back to that. He, he falls back into religion. He falls back into captivity he falls back into trusting a system of belief, and I think this is a pretty good definition of what I mean when I say religion. Religion is a system of beliefs that makes God's love small and fickle and conditional. He's tempted to fall back into that. Not tempted to fall into hedonism. Tempted to fall back into Judaism. Not tempted to fall into like every, everybody's free and nothing matters. No, he's tempted into falling into God's love is a lot more conditional than maybe we thought. God really does only like people who are circumcised. I mean, in this particular example, God really does only like Jewish people. God really does. Like, that's what he keeps getting tempted uh, and, and drawn back into. Verse 14, if we were to continue on this, and I'm going to read this out, and I know this is way more scripture than normal, and I'm not necessarily uh, expecting you to read along with it. I just want you to know that I'm not making it up, because uh, this is the kind of section of scripture that you might think is just made up. You're like, no way because of the ways that we've heard the Bible taught and the ways that we've been oppressed by things. No way. This is what it actually says. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter, again, this is Galatians chapter 2, verse 14, um, too much copying and pasting. Uh, probably is what resulted in it saying Galatians 6. is actually Galatians 2. Since you are a Jew by birth, you have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile. Why are you trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? And so Paul is basically saying, Peter, you've been set free for freedom itself. You are living as if you are free, and now you want to put the captivity of religion on the people? The, the very thing you've been delivered from, the very religion that you walked away from whenever you accepted the freedom in Christ, you want to put that on People, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like these Gentiles. Hurts my feelings just a little bit. Yet we know that a person is... (laughs) Does it hurt yours? You're a Gentile too. You're the sinners that he's talking about. You're in quotes right there. Look at that. We're Jews by birth, not sinners like all of these people. That's what Paul is saying. Uh, You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like these Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. What? I really thought everybody would shout, what, with me there. Like we would all be, holy cow, are you kidding me? We know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. Right? We have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. No one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. So what? Wait, what? I mean, this book right here that has been used to oppress, that has been used to put laws and and boundaries and parameters on people, this this that has been used to tell people that God does not love them because of the way that they live their life and the patterns that they're in, and this thing that has been used for that actually says you've been made right with God because you trust that Jesus is who he says he is, not because you... What?! Are you catching like how ridiculously counterintuitive this actually is? How this, this is why it's good news. If you don't think of it as, if you don't see it as this, then it's not good and it's not news, right? If your understanding of the gospel, your understanding of of faith in Jesus or, or whatever Christianity is, is that... Okay, well, you live a certain way, and then maybe God will like you. You never really know until you die, and then he looks at you, and he judges everything you ever did, and then maybe you get to go to heaven forever. Maybe you get to go to hell forever. I don't know. Um, But basically, it boils down to whether you did everything right. That's not good, and it's not news. It's not good because it basically means uh, that, that most of us will never have any assurance whatsoever in anything uh, and, and whether I go to heaven or not will basically depend on what day of the week I die on and what time of day, uh, I die on, right? And it's not news because that's what every religion from the beginning of time has always taught. That's what people believe always, isn't it? That's what uh, all people have always arrived at that conclusion. Like maybe we do certain things and the gods are pleased by them and we do other things and the gods aren't pleased. And and the gospel message of Jesus, and the thing that Paul is telling us about here is essentially this idea that it's like actually you just trust what Jesus says, that that faith in him is enough, that, that entering into friendship with him, that accepting his invitation to a better way of living and a better way of, of, of understanding what the world actually is, that that's enough. That that's where life is actually found. Second, Um, set of blanks and then I'll I'll pause for a few moments and see if we've got any questions if we're inviting people to trade one form of captivity for another we're not helping if our invitation is hey I see that you're you're caught up in some sin and you're caught up in some patterns and you're caught up in some things that are ruining your life (laughs) let me give you a religion (laughs) I'm just, are you getting it? Is this funny to you yet? Because it should be funny, I think. I think that not that you would laugh, but just like, that is kind of ridiculous, isn't it? Like when you're caught up in one way of living that makes you think of yourself as small. I mean, what drives people in most of their addictions and most of their vices and most of the things that are most destructive in their life, if not insecurity and guilt and shame and self-loathing? And, and, and religion does that stuff better than anything. So we've we got to be really careful that we're not inviting you to trade one captivity, one way of living that makes you value your own life less, one way of living that makes you value your own existence less, that makes you value your own choices less, that makes you feel less in control for another form of captivity, of just religion, of like, oh, I never could quite live up to the standard. I never... There's so many rules, there's so many things. I mean, this book is like... 3,000 pages, who could ever possibly read it, and who could follow all of it, and who could understand what it all meant? Like, that's the, that's the new path, but that's not what it's teaching. This has often been the case for the church. We've become known, and this really shouldn't be a shocker to you, but we've been, become known to the culture around us as, as moral bullies, aren't we? You, would. you don't have to admit it. It's not you. It's other people who aren't the Church of the Risen Jesus. But just so you know, there is a little bit of a rumor. There is a little bit of a thing going on out there that a lot of people think of Christians as moral bullies, that we think that our way is right and everybody else should have to live our way. Everybody else should have to do it the way we do it, even people who don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is like we do, even people who don't have the same faith that we do, even people, we, we've become known as the ones who show up and tell everybody else who's wrong and why they're wrong and why God is disgusted with them and their wrongness. We've made it our aim and our goal to force people into following these rules when the text itself, Jesus himself and Paul himself who teaches the way of Jesus says yeah. Faith in Christ is what we're actually about. Trusting Him is what we're actually about. Not obeying some law, not setting up some set of parameters for people. They're like Drew. They're not rules. They're principles. <laughs> I know. I know. But they're. But but when they're the principles are expressed as a way of indicating whether God will love you and bless you and. And, uh, and whether you'll have any peace in life after death, well, then I would say they're not really principles anymore, are they? They're rules. All right, I'm going to pause here for just a moment and see if we have any questions because I know that we're in some territory of some things that could be a lot, um, could be a little um, upsetting, could, could change uh, maybe, maybe you felt like you went to the wrong church today. You were like, I was looking for a church that would just tell me what to do. Uh, <laughs> and here you are saying like, we're not really in the business of that. We're, we're in the business of setting people free, um, and inviting them to trust in Jesus. And, and yeah, he does teach us a better way to live, um, as an invitation. So I have a couple of questions that came in. Does anybody in the room though, before we, we get into it and we do question, uh, we do questions in this space. I've, As much as I possibly can say this, I want to say this, not because I have all of the answers. I certainly don't. Um, If I had all the answers, we wouldn't be asking questions anyways. i just tell you the answers, right? Um, We do the questions because I feel like whenever we gather like this, we should not assume that we're all on the same page. That's not healthy. That's not helpful. That's not taking advantage of what we can do when we're together that we can't do when we're apart, Right? And I'm not saying that, that this is the right way to do it, but we do try to pause for a moment and just say, if you've got any questions, we'll try to respond to them in some way. If there's anything that maybe was confusing about this, you might not be the only person who was a little confused by it uh, or a little off-put by it. So let's let's give just a minute to this. Randy, hey, man. Hey. Share something with us. I just, I'm sorry, but I was a little confused as to what was Paul's issue with Peter. Yeah yeah totally so let's let's throw back up galatians chapter 2 verse 11 so the first big chunk of scripture there ben if you can get to it peter came to antioch i had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong and what he did was when he first arrived he ate with gentile believers he ate with people that he wasn't supposed to eat with he he went around people who were considered to be sinners who were not circumcised um but afterward, when some friends of James came, so whenever some Jewish people showed up, James is the, the brother, the, the maternal half brother of Jesus, uh, and, and a, a big, big beacon in the early church, planted a lot of churches. He's very Jewish, and everybody who's with him is also very Jewish. They show up, and Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. So Peter has experienced this freedom and shows up to the Gentile people and says, We're free, we're brothers. We're sisters. We we are together in this thing. God loves you and he loves me. He loves Gentiles and he loves Jewish people. And then other religious people show up and Peter's like, "Oh, scratch all that." <laughs> does that does that make sense? So Peter let, let me just make it um Peter's hanging out in a bar and then church folks walk in and they're just there for the food. Uh and and Peter looks and he's like, "Oh, yeah, I was just here for food too. I was going to yeah yeah, primarily it's that he's it's the hypocrisy of it. It's the temptation to go back into a religious way to get once you get around religious and everybody followed Peter. It's a big deal that Peter's bouncing back and forth because as a result of what Peter does, the other Jewish believers follow him. They was like, well, Peter walked with the Lord. He walked with Jesus, and, and if Peter won't hang out with Gentiles, neither should we. If Peter thinks that the Jewish people are the only people we should hang out with than us too. Um, so hypocrisy is really the, the primary thing there, but I would also say um, that there is a religious aspect to it. That He's going back to a way of thinking that he's been delivered from and that Jesus really delivered him from. That's a great, um, I, I appreciate you. Hopefully that clarified a little more so what's actually happening. Uh, again, we're, also, we're always just getting little pieces of a, of a story, little pieces of a letter, and just trying to piece together the best that we can. That appears to be what's happening there. Um, all right, I have two other questions that were texted in. All right, let's look at uh, th- this one literally just came in, and then I'll look at the other two. If we have a minute. Uh, what should our response be to the modern Christian church's um, idea of iron sharpens iron? As in we, we call out the sin in others. Uh, this is a, the iron sharpens iron is a reference to. Proverbs, I believe. There's a verse in Proverbs that essentially says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And it's used a lot in Christmas in, in Christian circles to, to kind of highlight this idea that we're supposed to actually make each other stronger, make each other sharper, uh, and that the best way of doing that, in a traditional view, is to point out accountability partners, right? It's to point out the sins that other people are committing, help them commit less sins, and they'll be sharper, and they'll be stronger. Um, I think the, uh, the best response I can offer to this, and I'm certainly for that. Can I just, just for clarity purposes, I'm certainly for being in relationships where you feel like you can tell each other the truth and you can say, Hey, I think you're doing some really destructive stuff there. If you're, if you're in a close friendship with someone, if you're in a marriage relationship, a really close friend or a relationship where someone has said, like, I'd really like for you to play a role in my life. Of helping me. what I, I had a friend once. Um, I have so much respect for him for this. And when he first told me, it made me very nervous. But the the years, that he was a little older than me then, and now the years have gone by, and I'm like, man, what an incredible humility. But this guy came to me, and he said, hey, man, um, I want you to know I love my wife to the moon and back. I love my daughters. I love my family like, like you wouldn't understand. Um, and uh, but I have had a few moments in my life where I have been tempted to be unfaithful to her. And he said, and there's this girl that started working at our practice. This is somebody, he lives in another state. He goes to a different school. You wouldn't know him. Um, he said, there's this, there's this girl uh, who, who started working in our practice. And he said, and I can tell that she's kind of into me a little bit. And so he said, if you wouldn't mind, would you text me just like a couple of times a week and just say, you know, just just ask me if I've had any inappropriate conversations with that girl. Ask me if I've sent her any emails I shouldn't have sent. Ask me if I've sent any glances her way that I shouldn't have sent. And like that to me, like I said, I was like, bro, what, uh, okay, are you really thinking about it? But I know that he wasn't now. You know, this is 10 years ago and 10 years later he's been totally faithful to his wife. And I would say mostly because he's willing to be that vulnerable and say, hey, there's some stuff in my life that could really mess me up and I want other people to be there to help me avoid that kind of mess. And so I would say my response to this question, what is our response to this approach? I would just say that that needs to be in relationship. That needs to be an an agreed upon thing. I think the issue that we're mostly addressing here and that Paul is particularly addressing a lot um, is this idea that we would be screaming through (laughs) Through, through bullhorns at other people who aren't really asking for our opinion and telling them this is the right way to live. This is the right way. This, this is the sin that you're committing. And I, it just isn't helpful. I think the invitation that we're called to extend is that God loves you right where you are. And does he invite you to a better way of living? Absolutely, of course. But he loves you first. And whenever we talk about the sin, when we scream the sin, when we scream, I'm here to sharpen you, um, the message gets lost a little bit in the religion because then people hear something that they're very familiar with. They've heard from everybody for their entire lives, that God's love is conditional. Whenever we're, we're hopefully declaring something else, God loves you right where you are, and he loves you too much to just leave you right where you are. He invites you to a better way of existing, But I think, again, in terms of relationship, in terms of, you know, tackling this stuff together, I think it should come from an invitation standpoint. It should come from a place of someone actually asking for that role in your life. And maybe you could even ask them, you'd be like, hey, I think maybe what you're doing is kind of destructive. Is that something that you're, you know, looking to address? And if their answer is no, then the only response I think we can give is, all right, well, you know where to find me if you need help. How much how much more helpful would that really be? It's like, I love you anyways. Um, a couple of questions that did come in and one of these is really related, uh, to that particular question. And then I'll, I'll, I'll close. What should I, uh, no, come on, robo risen. Don't fail me now. Um, yeah, Galatians six addresses helping another believer. Um, that's probably the very first slide, if you, if you can, Ben, the very first scripture slide, Galatians 6, chapter 1, uh, addresses helping another believer. How is this different? Uh, you're trying to help someone who's not another believer, and I'm so glad this question was asked. Uh, as far as this whole message series has been concerned, it doesn't apply. <laughs> you don't, right? Right? The condition of this whole... It's not saying we don't help people who aren't Christians, who aren't believers, who aren't in the... It's just to say you don't apply this to that. Do you see the condition at the other? If another believer, right? A brother or sister in the faith, someone who is part of your church family, part of your circle, is overcome by some sin and they're looking for help, yeah, then help them. Show up and help them. It's like, what? well, what does this verse have to say about people who aren't believers? It's like, Nothing. This verse doesn't say that. There are other places where we address that. Is, that. is that clear at all? Man, I feel like I'm in trouble today. And Megan's not even in here to tell me if I'm in trouble or not. I don't know. But but I think that's a... I'm, I'm so glad we asked this question, though. It's not to say that we're, we don't have a role to play ever in helping people who aren't believers. It's just to say that this verse of Scripture does not actually address that. And we don't get to take it out of context and say hey, you who aren't a believer, I see that you're caught up in some sin and I'm supposed to help you. It's like, well, no, it's not what it said. That's not what this particular thing says here. Abby, do you have something you were... Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's not going to be a response, but you can ask a question. yeah I get is this a shared experience for anybody that you're kind of like, well, what about the people in my life who um, their primary issue maybe is their religion? Is their interpretation of these is and they have an answer for everything. they have a, a response for everything. Um, I don't know get better friends. that's what I would say. Uh, anybody else? <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. That's a real no that, that's a real situation, a real Kind of uh, kind of thing, the the only thing that I would say to that Abby and, and everybody and I think you all know this. You can justify anything with this book. People are murdered and raped in the name of God, our God, in the name of Jehovah, in the name of the one true God of the Jewish people. They rape and pillage and kill and murder babies in his name, in here. And when you don't understand the scope of it and you don't take it into context and you don't see that this whole thing isn't about this whole thing, this whole thing is about Jesus showing up and saying, now here's all the ways you guys were wrong about God. If you don't see that, this book is not about this book. This book is not about what you can justify because you could justify anything. We could murder any number of people by throwing rocks at their head in this room right now, myself included, for things that are outlined in this, if we took Jesus out of it. And unfortunately, that is mostly what happens. That is mostly when religious becomes a burden on people. And I think think you've got to see this. Jesus is loved and adored and people flock to him who aren't like him. You know who shows up at the feet of Jesus? People who would never go to church. You know who Jesus goes to? People who would never show up at the temple. You know who comes to Jesus asking for advice and counsel and help? People who would never go to a Pharisee, would never go to a preacher of their day. That's got to mean something to us. It's got to mean something to us that, again, what do we do with the people in our lives who have a verse for everything and and (laughs) there is a verse for everything? Google your opinion and type, what does the Bible say about this? Make sure that the way that you're Googling it lets Google know what your opinion is and you'll find support for it. Right? You know that. But Jesus shows up to reconcile all of that. Jesus steps into the narrative of human history to say, everything you thought God was, he's not all that. You you thought God was pillage, rape, and kill in his name? I will show you that I, I will die at the hands of my enemies. I will die... You think the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Moses is a God who wants you to murder people in His name? Jesus says, well, "I could, I could take out, I could take out everybody who's killing me on this cross. I could take out every, and I choose to forgive them." And so that that's the uh, that's a larger larger narrative way of responding. To that I appreciate the question. Um, but, uh, but hopefully we're starting to see why I would even share what I shared at the beginning of this message. Like, hey, if this always agrees with you, I don't think you're paying attention. If Jesus always agrees with you, if Jesus never ticks you off a little bit, then you're not listening. Because he says things that rail against American family values. He says things that rail against everything that we hold dear at certain points in order to set us free Ah, I wish Megan was here. She'd have something nice and fun to say, to close it all out. Um, I'll close with this then. Um, So should I not hang out with uncircumcised people in my life? That's... (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate joke questions, joke questions too, by the way. If you ask some, some lighthearted ones, we can, we can land light. The answer is, um, I don't know how you're going to find out. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I'm not coming to your parties. Uh, if you're going to start throwing parties like they were throwing, uh, there, let me, let me pray for you. If, uh, I'm going to pray and then I'll let you know one thing real quickly about this week. Um, heavenly father, God, I pray that this was clear. I pray that this was helpful. God, I pray that it challenges us in some good ways. And, and, um, and God, it's not about me being right or me having this all figured out. It's not about any of us having it all figured out. It's about us really trusting you and, and really um, entering into the kind of life that you've invited us to. It's about us actually believing that you love us first and that anything that you invite us to change and any of the, the parameters and boundaries and 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 the, the structure that you provide for us is, is not conditions of your love, but invitations to better ways of being. Invitations to better ways of living. And God, that changes the narrative so much. I pray that that is the one that we would be sharing. I pray that we would have Jesus as our guide, as our core um, as our core belief, that our core, everything would come into question of, of him, that we would constantly come back to say, well, what would Jesus actually do here? What would Jesus speak to this? What, what would Jesus do with this type of situation? How would he respond? How would he have me respond? God will give you the praise and the glory and the honor and the love for it. Help us to do your work. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.